All right, so we were talking about apathy. And apathy, um, I think a lot of people misunderstand equanimity or uh, upeka um, as kind of a goal in Buddhism. And they, thought, and they think about uh, apathy. There are actually in, um, in Thailand, some people have the idea or the attitude that a monk should not laugh or smile because he is in this state of equanimity. Okay, but you're talking about apathy, and that's normally what Westerners think of as um, um, equanimity. Uh, but equanimity is much more of a dynamic. It's not a balance in the sense that the scales come to balance and then stay there. Equanimity is more like the balance that you have on a teeter-totter to where children of equal weight are on each side of the teeter-totter and things are going up and down. I mean, the whole in intention of the teeter-totter is to go up and down because it's equally weighted. That if all the weight is on one side, then the teeter-totter is going to just be sitting there and is not going to be in a, in a state of balance. So you could say that, in fact, that apathy, in a way, is exactly the opposite of this equanimity. Because that um, the equanimity that we're talking about is a peaceful satisfaction with the knowledge that it doesn't matter what that teeter-totter does, I can handle it. Apathy is more with the phrase of, oh, what the hell? It's not a pleasant, not a pleasant feeling, not a pleasant yeah. sensation. Yeah. Now, you're also talking about it from the perspective of, of waves. Yeah. And that everything is, in fact, happening in waves. Everything is wave-oriented. What do we mean by that? Well, the Buddha talked about it in the Buddha's uh, Pali language, and he called it anicca. And that what we really mean by anicca is not that everything is turmoil or in change, but everything is, in fact, rolling on. And okay. when you look at a circle in one direction, you can see that that circle is, in fact, nothing but a wave. When you look at it up and down and up and down like this, uh, the, the circle and a wave are the same thing with the distinction of distance or time. Yeah. That if you're in the same place and you keep going around and around and around is different than the sine wave of up and down because of, of the time. Uh, this is why... Um, Sound engineers have to work with the uh, with the letter pi, and uh, all that it means is because a wave is nothing yes. but the expression of a circle in time. Um, so, uh, the Buddha talks about it in the sense of a Nietzsche. Everything is in flux. Everything is in turmoil, and the question then becomes: is is that can you be in a state of equanimity knowing that you can handle anything that comes by? That's what we meant yesterday when we were talking about amor fati, that it doesn't matter where that 
uh, the point is on that um, uh, wave, doesn't matter whether it's up or down, or the fact that it is a wave, and even though that it's up now, it's going to be down later, and we kind of fall in love with that whole concept of everything as a wave. But that's not apathy, that's uh, something else. So we have to understand then that apathy is a hindrance. Mm. And it is not related to equanimity. Mm-hmm. That apathy is in fact um, kind of, let us say that a promising young boxer in training and, the, and his manager, um, uh, his trainer, keeps putting him up in one fight after another after another, and he keeps losing one fight after another after another after another. Eventually, he's not going to be able to win any fights because now he's got the attitude, the apathy of what's the point. I probably am not going to get it, okay? And so uh, as a meditator, what we need to do is to see that that apathy feeling is yet just another hindrance. By doing so, we can say, ah, that means that I can do something about it. I can throw that apathy out. Yes. Yes. You can do that. But you have to recognize it first. Well, you've already begun to recognize it, but um, I think that part of the question uh, would be is, is this apathy part of the goal? The answer no, is no, 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 I wouldn't imagine it. No, because it was not part of the goal. This is yeah. not equanimity at all. But yes. this apathy that you're talking about um, is, in fact, a loser's mentality, not a winner's mentality. Yes. How can you change that attitude? The attitude is, is that, OK, things are at, at the bottom now or I'm apathetic. Am I not glad that I see that apathy? So you begin to brighten the mind immediately from that, that, hey, I can see you, Mr. Apathy. I yeah. see you there. This is an important quality rather than say, oh, no, this is apathy. Mm. Because that's, oh, no, the mind has wandered away again. That's yes. just basic 101. Yes, that's yes. <laughs> You're right. Yes. And yet somehow we've called it apathy and make it special. Oh, no. It's it's just that what we do with this is never mind. We can get rid of that apathy also yes. and start again. We can throw I, that stuff out and tell our, and get and gladden the mind by saying everything is okay. I can handle this. I can even handle this apathy right now. Yes. I can see it and I know that I can take a deep breath. Yes. I I think like uh what uh troubled me was because um, I'm used to see hindrances like uh, something that uh, happened outside of the practice, like the normal state of the mind is to be uh, in hindrance. But at this time, it was like almost as the hindrance itself was being produced by some like side effect of the practice. And that quality of... Uh, being brought from within, it was like what bugged me. Because if it's it, it's uh, usually a thought of like uh, distraction or anger or 
depression, sadness, etc. I can recognize it as a hindrance. But like, if I feel something uh, that is very different to my normal experience, like the wave feeling, and uh, after that, I feel very apathetic. I almost like uh, link the apathy to the to the wave sensation. So it appears okay. to to come from the practice practice itself. That was what was like troubling me about it. But I was not oh, wow. I, I was not like uh, overwhelmed by it. I was just like uh, kind of curious, uh, like because it was not something common to me to have that happen from practice. Well, I was about to ask you about that. Um, that the question is then. Is this apathy new, or is this apathy uh, just something that's happened many times before, but now you're seeing it in a new way? No, maybe maybe uh, the second answer. Okay. Maybe a new so way. So this of is not new apathy. This is not the result of practice, but rather that you're uncovering this old apathy that was has been there before, but you're seeing it in a new way because you're beginning to uncover it. Yes. That's good. Congratulate yourself that you can see things that you couldn't see before. That in fact I can see that apathy in you easier than you can probably. And now that you can see it, you can do something about it. You can recognize, oh, there's that apathy again, and we can treat it just like any other hindrance. That apathy is, in fact, in a way, related to doubt. Mm. Um, and so we can see that as a doubt. We can also see apathy as... Um, uh, the mind not fit for work in regards to uh, tiredness, that often apathy comes when we're really tired or when the mind is uh, um, uh, doesn't have the energy. And this can happen after meditation when people are working too hard, they're striving too hard, and because of that the mind gets tired and then they have the feeling of apathy after the mind gets tired, but they're all just interrelated hindrances. I see. Okay. And so not working so hard. Um, in enjoying um, whatever happens, uh, you can say, oh, I can handle that too. When you see the apathy come up, you can say, aha, I see you, apathy. Let me do a little investigation. I can investigate how is the mind? Is the mind sharp and focused and clear, or is it dull and tired? Yeah, that's uh, a thing, because uh, I'm feeling like, uh, for the first time, this apathy comes along with a sense of clarity. Y usually when I'm feeling apathetic, I'm feeling like, without energy, uh, although, but this time I was feeling my body representing like feelings of apathy, like in my stomach uh, or something, I can identify it on the, on the body, but my mind was like uh, 
you usually uh, alert and uh, like uh, paying attention very well to the to the things. It was like more more of a bodily sensation of apathy, but my mind was quite the contrary. You're, that's really an excellent description you just gave me of what we, I was just talking about. That now that you've been practicing meditation and your mind is getting a bit sharper, you can see apathy in a brand new way. Yes. That in fact, you've probably been spending a lot of time in apathy and you didn't yes, quite and didn't know it. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or didn't even bother to like uh, do something about it. And so um, the easy thing to say would be, yeah, I can see that apathy. I could see it. Once you can see it, the apathy itself begins to melt away just by being able to see it. But then we can use the gladdening of the mind. Like, hey, I don't have to feel apathetic. I could feel relaxed instead. Yeah. I can feel equanimity, not apathy, that everything is going to be all right. You see, the whole idea of the apathy, I think, has to do with the fact that we're a loser. Mm -hmm. What's the point? Why bother? What's the point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now we're beginning to say, wait a minute, let me wake up to that and recognize that in reality, it's not true. Yeah. The reality of the situation is that I'm just, it's a mental condition that I've gotten myself into, this thing called apathy. But I can gladden the mind, joy up, see that, in fact, become friends with that apathy. I can become friends with that, too. Yeah, here's that apathy again. I see. And I can handle that as just part of the wave. But and at I the can, same time... It's okay. like uh, it's uh, it's kind of strange because it's like uh, the mind has a mind of its own, and the body has a <laughs> has a, a mind of its own too. Like the body has its own mind because I'm noticing ap apathy in my body, and I'm not partaking within it with my mind. I'm paying attention to my body feeling that. And it's almost like there are two distinct things, like my body is feeling empathetic, even though mm -hmm. my mind is not. But oh. in this exact time, I'm not like saying I'm this that, uh, that is noticing the body, but um, at the same time, I'm not saying I'm the body. I'm just like kind of lost in between. Mm -hmm. Can you move your screen just a little bit because I can't see your mouth and it would be easier to understand you if I could okay. see your mouth. <laughs> okay. okay. It's better? That's better. Uh, yes. So uh, you're on the right track. And the right track here is, is that you're beginning to see an apathy that has been there. It's been subtle and you haven't been paying attention to it. You've been sort of like... Uh, uh, burdened under it without knowing that it was there. Okay. Um, it's a matter, an, an example would be like that you, you naturally are carrying around a backpack yeah. or a bag. 
And in the bottom of the bag is a very, very heavy uh, lead weight that you didn't know was there. Yeah. And you've been carrying it around for a long time. Now you begin to understand, hey, wait a minute, there's this lead weight that I've got in my bag, and I, I, can, I can put a label on it, and that label is apathy. Mm. Okay, that you've been carrying the weight of apathy around, but you didn't really know it. Now you're uh, practicing, you can see it. You're waking up to that apathy. So, rather than uh, or questioning where did that apathy come from and how long have I been carrying it, the right way to do it is to say, okay, right now I have that apathy. Right now I can see it. Let me take that lead weight out of my bag right now. Never mind how it got there or that it will come back. But that I can take that, that weight out right now. Yeah. Okay, and I can take a deep breath and I can say, oh, yeah, that was apathy. And I'm going to be on guard for that. Aha, uh -huh, I see you, apathy. That's the attitude that we say. Okay, I see you. Not that, uh, that apathy is an enemy, but rather let us say that it's more like a, uh, uh, a naughty child. A, mm. love, a loved naughty child. Mm. That there the child is saying, I have not been eating any of your blueberry pie, and he's got blueberries all over his face. And instead of getting angry at the child for lying to you and eating your blueberry pie, you can just say, look at how funny you look with all that blueberry pie on your face. Okay, well, you can do that also with the apathy. I see. That, that look, I've been carrying that around all of this time, and, and I don't have to. I don't have to be apathetic. I don't have to feel like a loser. That I can get into these these waves. In fact, everything comes in waves. Mm. This is what we, the Buddha means by a Nietzsche. Cause and effect, and cause and effect, and cause and effect, and it just keeps cycling, turning on and on and on and on. We can either appreciate the show... Or we can try to stop the show. Yeah. The right way to do it is instead of trying to get rid of the apathy, is just to recognize, oh, there it is. I can see that. I see. Let me take a deep breath and relax into this. Oh, nothing's happening. No place to go. But in fact, apathy is not such a terrible thing. Yes. As opposed to, say, anger. Yes. Or being uh, uh, in a rage over... Uh, your hindrances, you can just say, oh, well, there's that apathy, and apathy is pretty close to just acceptance, and so I'm on the right path. Yeah, I see. I think, like, uh, there is just a, a thing that you were saying that uh, uh, kind of confuses me, um, because there's this aspect of uh, Anicca that is like... Uh, an intellectual perception of things comes in waves. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I can see that. But at the same time, there is like a, a more phenomenological experience of waves that I wasn't what? aware. Waves. Waves, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, Because like all the, the talk about impermanence uh, to me always sounded like it was like a more of a intellectual perception 
but now I'm seeing it like a, as a part of the experience itself, like second to second or even less than that. It's not like a, just a, a thing that you can argue about and like discuss like you do in uh, like a philosophical arguments, but it's a, a experience of like a change and change and change and change. And it, it's kind of funny to be in it. Experiencing yes. in it, it's funny. Mm-hmm. So capitalize on that, that, that uh, things are, you know, they're constantly flowing, constantly in a flux. That fate is presenting you with a new reality every moment, every second is something new. The wave keeps moving. I see. But at the same time, I don't see like how apathy is a part of it because like apathy is a feeling and this is like a, a state. Like I can be drunken and sad. I can be drunken and happy. Mm-hmm. This is like uh, I'm drunken, so to speak, like feeling wavy and apathetic. These two things are not like necessarily entangled because one is a state and the other one is a, a feeling. It could be, I could be like a wavy-like and feeling exhilarating like the other time. I don't see how they are like totally that related. Is brilliant. Congratulations for seeing that. This is exactly why the Buddha has Sita Nupassana and Vedanu Nupassana as two distinct different objects. The feeling and then the mind state. The mind state is not the same as the feelings. And that's what you're saying, that you're seeing this apathy as kind of a mind state. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it is good that you're seeing that, that you're beginning to recognize all that the mind is in this state of apathy, but that that apathy is somewhat related to drowsiness or sleepiness or um, also a quality of kind of giving up. And so the first thing that we have to do is keep recognizing that, to keep seeing it. Aha, I see you, apathy. Just the way that I've said it, aha, I see you, apathy. Is a way of coming out of it, just by the way that I see it. Say it, as opposed to, oh, I see it again. There's that apathy, right? Because right. that's an apathetic way of saying that I see the apathy. Yes. But but we're going to see uh, talk about it in the sense of being really happy or glad that you can see that stuff now. Mm-hmm. Aha! I see you. And at the same time, attitude to have is is that you can, in fact, see that stuff and that it's a state of mind, but that you still have some control over your feelings about it. Yeah. Because normally when people feel apathy, they also feel yucky in a way. Mm -hmm. But you can be okay with that apathy. You say, aha, I see you, apathy. Yes. And then you can take a few deep breaths and, and uh, manipulate it, play with it, and see if the apathy is, is changing in any way. Mm-hmm. It's funny because, like, uh, the, the changing experience to being uh, in the solid state, to the wave state, was more like encompassing and totalizing 
as a mm-hmm. experience than apathy. Apathy was like a a thing in it, but this was much more like encompassing about my experience as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like I can say I have this uh kind of like uh uh total state of myself that is like uh my body, my feelings, my whole experience. So okay. the feelings would be a minor part of it. But my direct experience, like if I'm feeling solidified or broken into waves, is more like of me than the apathy itself. The apathy uh, pertains into a realm that it's very minimal compared to the direct experience. Okay. Well, maybe that's part of the reason why it's been so subtle and hard for you to see all of, all this time. But now you're waking up to it. Yeah. But when you wake up to it, make sure that you're waking up to it in the sense of, aha, I can see you now. Mm. And congratulate yourself for being able to see that apathy. Okay. Give yourself credit. You're you're making some changes. You're making some improvements. You're uh, practicing and gaining some skills now so that you can see things. And so now you can take that apathy and turn it from an enemy into a toy to be played with. Okay? You can breathe into that apathy. You can take a deep breath and, you, and say, okay, empathy or uh, apathy, time to relax. And let yourself be really, really satisfied that it's okay that you can see that apathy. That I in see. fact, the apathy has an advantage to it because it's so close to equanimity. I see. Because apathy, like we said, is a whole lot better than being agitated and worried, angry, mm. sad. Mm. If you had all of those choices, apathy looks like a pretty good option. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you just uh, mingle a little bit of joy and it becomes very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just add some joy. A teaspoon of sugar helps that medicine go down. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, aha, I see you, apathy, is the way to practice. Yes. There is uh, a way of uh, amplifying this uh, new experience I keep having of the wave. I should, like, uh, keep the the focus on my breathing, or I should focus on the waves that are passing through me. The answer is one by one as they occur. I'm not that fast. I know what you're saying, <laughs> but I, I okay. can't like. I, right. I cannot like. In in the in the beginning of practice, the mind is scattered and will just go all over the place. Yes. And we're learning now to settle things down, and so we use the breath as an anchor. Now, within one breath. There, uh, especially since we're slowing the breathing down, uh, 
that gives us time to do several things in one breath. Now, the important point would be is only to know that this is a long in-breath and to know that this is a long out-breath, which takes just an instant, just to recognize during that long in-breath then, you have more time. But we have registered the sati. I know that this is a long in-breath and this is a long out-breath. And so the rest of that in-breath, you could think about uh, the apathy. Aha, I see that apathy. And then on the out-breath, you could say, I'm going to relax that apathy. And so but it, if it's not like apathy that I'm feeling, because like the feeling of waves is not the feeling of apathy. The apathy comes came just like after the meditation itself. During it, it was very good. I was just feeling the waves and I was beginning beginning to be very interested that I was uh able to generate it it again because I, I thought it was like a, a just one-time experience i thought it it happened like once and uh i could forget about it and whatever but uh, i see that it's like a, a thing that i can repro reproduce and it's good to reproduce it but at the same time i don't know if i focus on the waves or in the breath I try to focus on both, but I, I lose my focus if I, I change too, too much. Always keep, right. So um, the, it's the thinking about it that often will distract us from the breath. And so always say that at least one point in time on that in-breath, I'm going to focus on that and making sure that it's a long breath. Mm. So you note that in-breath and then you've got the rest of the in-breath to do the other parts of the Satipatthana, including understanding the feelings, seeing the, um, uh, uh, the constant changing, especially the constant changing of the thoughts in the mind. That a mind moment doesn't last for very long. One mm -hmm. thought will come up and then another one will come up and then another one will come up over and over and over and over again like that. And that's also part of the Anicca. But we have to remember it at least once during that in-breath, we're going to bring it back and focus on the in-breath to make sure that this is a long in-breath and make sure that it's a long out-breath. And then all the other mind moments in that breath can be um, put on other aspects of the Satipatthana, including everything is changing, including whatever that you're feeling. The mind state of being apathy as well as our, uh, a mind that's tired. So you could basically go through um, very quickly. The joke is, um, <laughs> let me tell you this joke. Okay. They're on an airplane. There were three uh, people seated together. In the middle was a Catholic priest. To his right was a Jewish rabbi, and to his left was a Buddhist nun or monk. And that they were talking and chatting about various things, including uh, similarities in religion. And all of a sudden, a huge air pocket happened, turbulence, and the plane goes kawumpa like that. Big, big event. Surprise to everybody. And the whole um, uh, cabin became um, animated. And surprisingly enough, uh, not just the priest, 
but all three of them did this gesture. And when the priest is doing this, you know, the genuflect, and he sees the, uh, the Jewish dude doing it too, and he sees the cat, he says, what are you guys doing? And the, and the, um, the, <laughs> the rabbi, the Jewish rabbi says, oh, well, I was just checking. Te spectacles, testicles, watch, and wallet. That was his genuflect. And so the priest, you know, well, what is that? And he turns to the Buddhist and he says, well, why did you do that? And the Buddha was uh, saying, well, I was just checking also. Can I see clearly? Am I well behaved? Am I breathing well? And is my heart open? Okay. So basically we could do all of that in one breath. I see. We can say, am I looking properly? Can I see? Am I relaxed? I is my heart open? Am I breathing well? Okay, so this is the way that, uh, uh, that we can practice. In, even in one short breath, we can go through and visit basically the stations of the cross. Mm. I see. That's the way of looking at it is, is that within that one breath, we have a lot of time. And that we can go and check this and check that and check the other thing. But we always want to make sure that we come back to the breath at least once during that in-breath and during that out-breath as an anchor to keep bringing us back to the present moment without wandering away. Mm. Okay. And uh, it's like uh, the equivalent of like uh, thoughts moving in a Nietzsche is... The waves I feel on the body, they are equivalent. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, everything is a wave. I see. You'd be surprised right now, with the, just, just during the time of the sentence that I'm speaking, hundreds of trillions of cause effect have happened. You'd be surprised at how fast things happen over and over and over again. Many, many thousands of complex uh, things are happening just within your immediate vicinity. You'd be surprised at how your breath affects the uh, uh, the area of uh, the air around you when you breathe out. Tens of thousands of millions of molecules go out and is dispersed. And when you breathe in, you breathe in enormous amounts of stuff from the outside world. We are actually in a sea like a fish, and we don't even know it. We don't. Uh, and watching the breath helps us to understand that, hey, we're actually breathing in and out this reality. That we really have to make this exchange, that there is this wave going in and out and in and out like a tide. And so there's a, a, a lot of that happening constantly. So the wave, uh, the breath is a wave. Then we begin to see, well, wait a minute, even my thoughts are a wave. Moving from thought to thought to thought to thought to thought. Everything is in a wave. Everything so, is moving up and down. Everything is in constant flux, constant motion. Even when you are not like uh, uh, meditating, you feel that uh, feeling of changing. Like right now, you're feeling that as you talk to me. 
Well, touch sensation, for instance, if you pay attention, you can feel the touch of the cloth of your shirt, your blue shirt that you're wearing. You can actually feel that on the shoulders. Yes, I'm feeling. Yes. You can feel that. You can feel the touch of the cloth on your shoulder. You, I can feel the, uh, the breeze from the wind. I can feel it on the arm and on the back. But I can only feel it when I'm paying attention to the feeling. But the sensation is still there. I'm just not paying attention to it. Okay. And that sensation is constantly in a wave, just like the wind is blowing. It just and keeps it's... blowing and blowing and blowing. There's a kind of a wave quality to it. Even though you say, no, no, the errors keep going that direction. Yeah, but this molecule hits you and then the next one and then yeah. the next one yeah. and the next one. And it's useful to pay attention to the multiple things that are happening, like uh, feeling the, the touch of the, the cloth and the air. It's useful to keep like... Uh... And as our skill develops, we go more and more and more for taking in sensory input and less and less the quality of processing it. You see, normally what we do is we take information and then we try to make sense out of it. We come to a conclusion. We have a feeling about it. And then we go back and get more input. And then we process it. And then we make sense out of it. And then we have a feeling about it. And then we go back and get more input, okay? There's another way of doing it. And that is, is that we don't spend so much time in uh, the perception and making sense out of it. We just keep receiving input. Yes. And we begin to open the sense doors so that we find out that, wow, there is so much happening, constantly happening, that I haven't been paying attention to. I've been thinking about what was happening, but I think about a little bit that's happening. But when I start beginning to watch what's happening, a whole lot of stuff is happening. I see. I see. And uh, I but see. this is... Okay. And how we do that is it's, it's an opening. First, we start with the breath. And then we begin to open our perception so that we, we take in more and more and more and more input. I see. I see. And that's what you're beginning to do. You didn't know that you were doing that, but this is where all that waving stuff comes from because it's just constantly coming in. I see. <laughs> constantly I see. In, in a wave form coming to you. So. And, uh, and go ahead. It's like the. Remember when the last year we were talking uh, about the uh, Pratisha Shamupada? Mm -hmm. And it's like uh, this you're speaking about, like the awareness of the point of contact. Like yes, it's summed up by exactly. It. Okay. Right. But now I'm talking about it in the sense of backing up past perception into just pure consciousness. Okay. Pure consciousness means just purely receiving data, more data, more data, more data. So we're, in, uh, we're engaged with the wind and the breeze and the touch of the cloth and the breathing. Wow, there's just so much going on. Just going through the list of it, I mean, the list is endless. And it only, and it only took a second. And if we write a list about everything that happened in that one second of time, that would be volumes and volumes, fill up a whole library of stuff that happened in that just one second. I see. Okay. I see. And so we're beginning now to start noting 
all of that stuff that's happening as opposed to paying attention to one little thing and getting lost in that we're opening it up okay so the touch of the cloth the the posture the seating of the body the breathing the coming in and the coming out and then the feelings associated in the sense of feelings of anxiety or apathy or uh any of that on top of all the thoughts that are there wow there's so much happening inside yes. the human body in one second yes. and our job is now to start paying attention to all of that yes and the more you observe less you became like a part of your like uh, thoughts and more they they became like part of the scenery in general and you can even even like uh, mingle with them like in a good way not in a bad way Yes, exactly. Right. We begin to make friends with all of this process. Yes. Wow, now that makes sense. Yes. Wow, how much is going uh, on? It's just amazing. <laughs> I think that that makes sense. Uh, for the first time, it it, it makes more more like uh, exact sense uh, to me. That's I was great. That's my job is to is to say it in a way that where it makes sense to you, where you go, oh yeah, I get it now. Yes. Uh, I was uh, uh, Visasa Parama Nyati. Say that again. Uh, Visasa Parama Nyati. I don't know the word. Maybe I'm not hearing it well. Yes, uh, most likely. Uh, I don't have a clue how to pronounce it. But it's like this quote. It remembers what you're uh, telling me. Oh, let me go and look and see what you've written there. It didn't stay on the screen. Okay. Okay. You've written Vipassana uh, Parama Nati. Familiarity with the highest form of kinship. Yes, that's that's basically what we're talking about. Is the yes. um, the the vipassana is the inside of the seeing it, um, uh, and the para is is about everything is around uh, and and higher. So this is the higher form of friendship. We become friends with our um apathy ah i see. I see you there you are apathy okay I see. rather than oh no there it comes again I see. uh is is not uh uh not the friendship i see i i found this quote uh, from the from the buddha but I, i don't know exactly where is it from I don't know where that uh, quote is actually from either, uh, yeah. but it does point about friendship. Yes, but it, it okay. reminds me a lot about our conversation. We recognize everything is, can be a friend. We don't have to be enemies with anything anymore. We need mm. to stop being critical and start being nurturing. Yes, yes. Um, 
Should I read something along with the practices or just practice? Pardon? Should I read something like uh, suttas or any books you would recommend to me or just uh, practicing? I would say that reading Dhamma books, especially if it's good Dhamma, uh, is a wholesome way to spend time. Mm -hmm. Thinking about the Dhamma, reading the Dhamma, gaining inspiration from the Dhamma is much more wholesome than thinking about your problems, worrying about something that needs to be done, mm -hmm. and, the all, uh, and all of the hindrances that you could be in. So I would say that, it, uh, that as far as time structuring goes, being in the Dhamma by reading books is far superior to being in dukkha. However, one can read a Dhamma book and want things. Dhamma books, without, without being careful, can cause suffering as well as uh, get you out of it. Mm. So it depends upon, are you really paying attention to it, and is it really, really good Dhamma? Uh, because uh, you could be write, uh, reading a book that says uh, things like, uh, oh, if you find dukkha in the mind, denote it well and keep looking at it and keep bringing that dukkha back up, and that would not be a wholesome way of doing it. Mm. Uh, so I don't know, you know, just in general, which Dharma books, because some of them are really great and some of them are not so great. It depends. But if you can read that Dharma book and maintain a wholesome mentality while you're doing it, then in fact, you can go into great joy by reading a Dharma book. Mm. I, uh, how to say it, um, get a kick out of, I can get yeah. a real kick out of some of the, uh, the suttas. To go back and revisit. I remember, in fact, um, that let us say 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, okay. that when I would read a sutta, I found it deep, profound, complex, and sometimes I could only get through part of the sutta. The first part was so big and so profound that I couldn't even finish the sutta. And if I tried to finish the sutta, I wasn't getting much out of it. Mm. Now I find, uh, and an example of that was uh, uh, the Satipatthana Sutta. Okay. The Satipatthana Sutta was so deep, so profound, so mystical, that it was impossible to really understand the sutta. But that was 25 years ago. Now I can read that whole sutta in 10 minutes and check off the points. Yep, 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 yep. And you used to, every time I'd hit one of those points, it would just stop the show. <laughs> I couldn't make it past that point. That was too much, too profound. But now it's just one step after another, after another. Yeah, and I can read that whole sutta in 10 minutes and still review that 15 or 20 points that are just so profound in there. I see. Okay. That's the way of looking at it. So uh, when you're reading the suttas or reading stuff, if it catches you correctly, it will be profound and it may be some pretty slow going. 
because you're getting a lot out of it. Okay, that you can get uh, 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 10 pounds of joy out of a uh, 10 bag, uh, 10 word bag of sentence, right? <laughs> and so it depends upon the way that you read it, but ultimately reading the suttas is really good. If it's okay. if it's uh, if it's inspirational like that, I see. So that you can gain. Um, then, in fact, there is a sutra that I will tell you about. It's in the fives in the and uh, and Guttara Nikaya. Then, in fact, uh, uh, I did it as a uh, as a sutra review with one of the students. So this is a whole video on it. Oh. But there are five ways in this sutta. That's why it's in the five. There are five ways to go into the first jhana. And it's only the last on the list that is the way that Westerners practice the Dhamma or mm. practice meditation. In other words, the sitting practice, if we sit quietly, then most likely what's going to happen is the hindrances are going to come up if we don't have anything to focus on. That's why we want to focus on the breath or to focus on uh, gladdening the mind, whatever like that. Otherwise, the mind will just run off into its normal uh, pig pen. So, this sutta has four other things in it. And each one of them have to do with the Dhamma. The first item on the list is, is that when a teacher and a student are talking about the Dhamma, when the teacher is expounding upon the Dhamma and the student is listening closely and gaining great benefit, because of that, his enthusiasm can get aroused. He is completely free from the hindrances because he's thinking about the Dhamma, and he can, in fact, go into first jhana. And then it happens often in a, in a lecture hall that people just see how they're just so into the sutta or so into the teaching that they reach that very pleasant state of first jhana. Well, the other side of that, uh, the number two item is, is that not only can the students fall into that great state of joy, but so can the teacher. Just by talking mm. about the Dhamma and expanding the Dhamma to the students and having that interchange between the student and the teacher can bring great joy also to the teacher. And the important point is, is that the mind is free from hindrances. So we can extrapolate that because the third and the fourth ones are the same thing, that in fact you don't have to chant or recite the suttas, that you can just be mulling them over. You can just be thinking about the Dhamma as the fourth one. But this third one, which would be in our world, uh, you see in the time of the Buddha, it would be that they memorized and they would recite the suttas. Every time that they would recite the sutta, they would get new insights in it, or they would recover old insights and reaffirm them. You can do that by reading a Dhamma book, if you read it correctly. You can gain great joy. You can actually go right into first jhana by reading a sutta. You can read that sutta and you, ah, you know, and just have a really major experience because you got something right out of the book. Mm -hmm. So saying that it's better for you to meditate than it is for you to be in a book, I think is not necessarily good advice. That in fact, you can gain great joy by being uh, by reading Dhamma 
uh, books. I see. But you have to be, uh, you have to do it when the mind is free from hindrances. So you have to actually be able to read the sutta instead of having the eyes go along the words while the mind is thinking about Elsewhere. something else. I see. I see. I see. Okay. Would you recommend me a sutta to read uh, within the next uh, days? Uh, I actually think that it might be just as good for you to read Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Okay. 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 And you can, you can actually just Google Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa and find all kinds of, of things. I would recommend, first off, Handbook to Mankind. Okay. Handbook to Mankind. Another one would be Happiness and Hunger. Mm. Another one that is uh, uh, very famous is No Religion. So those, those, there are three of them, but there's dozens of books. There's books mm. on Anapanasati, all kinds of things. And those are dozens only because those are the ones that have been translated into English. If you go after the Thai, there's thousands of, of books. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, those books that I just mentioned, Handbook to Mankind, that's going to be the top of the list. Okay. Happiness and Hunger, No Religion. Okay, okay. Uh, another one that you can put on that list is The Prison of Life. The Prison? The Prison of Life. Okay. Okay. Those are the books that I would recommend. They're not long. They're only, each one of them is only one or two Dhamma talks. Okay. Okay. I will look after them. Okay. Okay. All right. So, we'll see you later. Yes. Enjoy. Thank All you. Of that stuff Thank you very much. So, okay, Arthur. Bye-bye. May you have a wonderful, apathetic day. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> bye bye okay we'll see you bye bye see you